we come to worship God this morning. My name is Kurt. I am one of the pastors here. I'm also the lead pastor here. And we all do have a role to play in being Christian community together. And my role is not any more important than your role. And your role isn't any more important than the person sitting next to you. The Bible tells us that we each have a role to play, and that as each of us come together and we form community together, that we are the hands and feet. We are the body of Christ in the world, and we need one another in order to accomplish that goal. How many of you remember uh, those early experiences of uh, Christian community that we called choosing teams on the playground? Right? And you're out on the playground, and all the kids kind of line up because you're going to play basketball or kickball or something, and, and you have to stand there waiting to see if you're going to be the last one chosen, right? The dreaded spot. Nobody wants to be the last one chosen because it means ultimately that what? You are worthless, right? <laughs> the poorest player, the one that nobody wants. And yet I think we carry some of those childhood experiences into adulthood. And as we come to experiences of community, we're we're, we're wondering, is somebody going to choose me? Do I have value? Do I have worth in other people's eyes? Am I somebody that somebody wants to be on their team? And as we come to church, I think we carry some of that anxiety with us as well. Am I going to be worthwhile in other people's eyes? And the good news message that that we carry is that in Christ, God has chosen you. God has chosen me. We, We don't have to wait to know if we've been chosen. That's the whole point of the Bible message is that you have already been chosen by God in Christ. And because of that, we are all on the team, and there are no A and B players. There are no people who are good and those who are bad. We all bring what we bring to the team, and we need one another. As we look at our series that we're calling Vital Signs and looking at what are the markers of healthy missional churches and what does the Bible say was God's intention for us as Christians to be church together, we're recognizing that compelling Christian community is the biggest, perhaps, part of the testimony that we have to share with the world around us. In our culture, we're we're tempted to make church one more activity in an already over-busy and overcrowded culture. It's really easy to overlook the fact that we are called to be in community and relationship with one another. We can spend so much of our time doing activities for God that we can miss the larger picture about what it means to be in relationship with one another and to be on one another's team. All of us have a deep need and a longing to belong in community, to have somebody that we can lean on, to have somebody that we can go to when times get tough, to have somebody that we can be honest with and share about the struggles and the fears of our lives. And too often, I think we come into church and we feel pressure to put on a mask that somehow everything's okay. And if we can't be honest with each other in church, if we can't find friends that we can trust here, Where else can we find that kind of trusting, honest relationship, those people to lean on? When those who have not yet come to know Jesus see and experience the kind of compelling Christian community that we know is possible, then they are much more open to hearing the good news message of Jesus and believing that it might just be possible that God has chosen them as well. As always, we look to 
the life of Jesus as our forerunner, as our model, as the word of God, who is really the, the, the central character of God's word to us. And as we look to the life of Jesus, we can look into his experience of community with his disciples. And uh, in John 13, as he was teaching his disciples, after he washed their feet and he demonstrated this servant attitude towards one another, he said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, the the core of Christian community is is love. I mean, that's why we get married, right? We we fall in love and we, we want to build a life together. That's hopefully why we have kids, because we want to take that love that we have as a couple and share that with our kids. That's why we have extended friends and families that we pursue and spend time with, because we want to share that love with as many people as possible. Uh, Christian author uh, C.S. Lewis talked a lot about different kinds of love. And while we have romantic love and we have the kinds of love that bring us together as families, he said the one kind of love that ultimately demonstrates God's love for us is what he called phileo love or friendship love. Because that's the kind of love that doesn't come because we were born into a family or we have genetics, but it's because we choose to love the other person. And so sometimes our closest friends can be closer than our genetic family, right? Because we found somebody that that we connect with, that we have chemistry with, that we want to pursue in relationship as a friend. And and there's not, not all that extra pressure to have to live up to expectations that maybe come from our culture. Friendship love is the kind of love that God has for you and I. We are God's friends. And God has chosen us Because he loves us, and because of his love, we have value and we have worth. Jesus prayed that his disciples might be one as he and his father were one. In John 17, as he was preparing to leave them, he picked up uh, his relationship with the father and talked about how his relationship with God was the core of their relationship with one another. Let's look briefly at John 17. Verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, again, here we get a glimpse of Jesus' vision for what he was accomplishing. Jesus' vision was so much bigger than just those 12 men that he walked around the countryside with. It was so much bigger than those extended networks of disciples that he ate with and slept with and taught with. It was even for all those that someday would come to believe in the Father through their relationships with one another. His vision was for you and I today. That that same experience of friendship and love and choosing one another that he demonstrated with his disciples is the same invitation that we have to live out with one another in our experience of community today. And then I'd like to look at one more passage as we kind of dig into this topic of what is compelling Christian community And that's in Acts chapter 2. As we see Jesus returning to the Father and his followers gathering together to say, how do we now live out this new vision that 
Jesus has given us this new reality that he has not only died for our sins and forgiven us, but God has raised him from the dead. And that the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that now we can carry on his mission. In chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a great picture of compelling Christian community. Now we know that as we go on through the New Testament, all those early Christians didn't live perfect lives either, right? In fact, we've said this before, most of the New Testament was written to churches because they had problems and they were struggling to get along and they had to work at relationships. It wasn't like this magical experience that they had where they didn't have to do the hard work of staying in love with each other because love continues to be a choice. And so we see that there are key things about this community experience that they had, though, that then gave formation to the church as it moved forward. I'd like to suggest there are four things that we can identify in this early experience of Christian community that have continued to live out, be lived out in the church through the centuries and are ways that we can plan to be a compelling Christian community as we carry that mission forward as a church. The first four things are discipleship, Hospitality, unity, and open invitation. Discipleship, hospitality, unity, and open invitation. Let's just kind of go back through. They they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking bread, and to prayer. We would call that discipleship. They, they, They continued to read God's word and to learn in community with one another and in relationship together. They they broke bread. They had communion together and, and they prayed to God, seeking the power of his spirit. They were growing and learning as disciples of Jesus. See, their discipleship to Jesus didn't end when Jesus left. It, it became part of the lifestyle of the early church. That was kind of the core and the heartbeat of why they spent their time together, to continue to grow in their relationship with Jesus. That discipleship was then fostered and continued on through hospitality. It talks about how everyone was uh, together, and they, they not only met in the temple courts and worshiped in big church, but they continued to meet in their homes, and they invited anybody to come over and sit around the dinner table. And can you imagine the conversations that they must have had and, and the dialogue? And, and one of the things that we know historically is that they invited anybody who wanted to come, regardless of religious background or economic status or whether you were a slave or a servant or what your ethnicity was. And so a part of the compelling nature of the early Christian community is that in an economically stratified and an ethnically separated culture that the Roman culture represented at that time, these Christians began to, to go against the trend and to demonstrate that there was something above and beyond the culture that drew people together and that anyone was invited to participate in. They also demonstrated unity 
in that they started to see all that they had and all that they were as part of the community's resources. It wasn't that I had my own stuff over here and you had your stuff over there and and my stuff was for me and your stuff was for you. They started to go, you know what? If we kind of begin to share our lives together, then there's enough for everybody. Nobody has to be in need if we pool our resources and we share our time and everybody brings their talent to the needs of the community. We begin to experience that, gosh, what I have is something that you need and what you have is something that I need. And that together we discover that God has shaped us and wants to use us to be a part of blessing other people. And that unity is what drove them to continue to fight for that community, even when they found themselves in places of disagreement, even when they struggled with the culture around them. It was that unity in their diversity that gave them the character that stood out in their culture that attracted many, many people to Christianity. And then that last one, I already actually mentioned it, but is is a community of open invitation. It never became a, a closed society, uh, the frozen chosen, you know, us four and no more. Uh, it, 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 in, in a sense of relationship, we can also fall victim into that, that thinking that, okay, I've got my community around me, and these are the people that I need, and I, I can't really sacrifice that because if I sacrifice that, I'm not going to have enough for myself. It's a, it's a theology of scarcity, that drives us to kind of huddle in around one another as Christians and, and assume that the community that we have is limited and, and is, is, needs to be protected. You see, the early Christian community, based on the love of Christ, was always open to everybody because as it stayed open and looked for those divine opportunities and appointments to share the good news and to invite new people into relationship, what does the scripture say? The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You see, church growth isn't a strategy that goes out and tries to create a program that's going to attract people to come to church to somehow, you know, be impressed by the pastor on the platform on Sunday morning or be be so awed by the music with no guitar strings that break and uh, no videos that don't work that they just go, oh, God must be real. That's not what church growth is about. You look historically and biblically, church grew as one person was invited into relationship by another person. And the Spirit of God moved in that relationship and they discovered that this God that Jesus came to reveal is alive and powerful and has a concern for my life. And they discovered faith through the experience of Christian community. Open invitation is an essential part of being a compelling Christian community because then it opens us to the movement of the Spirit where we're simply responding to whoever God would lead us to. In our history as a covenant church, the denomination, uh, that these four Uh, issues have kind of borne themselves out in in other ways, and they've been related to historical movements in the church that I think it's also important for us to be aware of and recognize. If you ever come to one of our orientation classes or our membership class, we go through this in in more depth, and we talk about this. In fact, we have another orientation class that we've just scheduled coming up in a couple weeks on Sunday, November 8th, 
So if you have not been able to be a part of an orientation class, mark that on your calendar, and we're going to be giving you more information about that. And we'll follow that up in early December with a a new membership class. If you'd like to consider joining the church at that time, you can be aware of that as well. But as you go through the covenant history and you look at uh, the denomination that we've become a part of, uh, our, our current president, Gary Walter, says you can look at the historical movements of the faith that are the roots of our denomination, and you can say that we, we, we kind of discover that we have four buddies named Al. And if you understand our four buddies named Al, then you understand what gives our denomination, the Covenant Church, kind of its unique ethos and its character. Because we have to, we have to hold the relationship with all four of those buddies in order to be who we really are. We are Biblic Al. <laughs> I know, it's cheesy, right? We are Devotion Al. <laughs> we are Connection Al. And we are Mission Al. And we, we go back to the historical roots of the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther uh, and hammering his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. And, and, and in that process, he began to put the Bible back in the hands of the people, to translate it into the vernacular language so that people could actually read the Word of God for themselves and not be, have to receive the good news of Jesus through a, a priestly mediator, but they could read for themselves what was true and they could be inspired by God's Word and, and the Holy Spirit could work in people's hearts through the Word of God. And so all the way back in that, in that Protestant Reformation, we have our roots that go back to being a biblically-based church because of the foundation of God's Word and the importance and value of that that the early church demonstrated that we need to be studying and reading and learning God's Word. And that as we discover that, we re- recognize that the Bible is really the only perfect rule for our faith, for our doctrine, and for our conduct. And then as uh, the church moved on through the centuries and after the 1500s and the Protestant movement, we began to recognize that even having the Bible uh, didn't guarantee that you were going to continue to have a a vital and living faith with Jesus. And so we saw these other movements coming around, like the pietistic movement that began to say, you know what, there's a a certain level of piety that we need to have is about having a relationship with Jesus. You can't just know the word of God. You have to have a a living and a vital relationship with Jesus in order to, to have a faith faith that's alive and real. And so we began to understand that this idea of being in relationship with Jesus and not just being part of a church was really a part of being compelling Christian community and having a uh, devotional life that was seeking ongoing relationship with God and inviting the Spirit into our marriages, into our families, into our friendships, and even into our churches to be the one who we're seeking and following. And then We are also a part of the great evangelical mission movement of the 1700s and the 1800s where the church began to recognize the call to go into all the world was becoming more and more possible because of ships and then planes and all the opportunities for us to go into the the jungles and the places that were unreached people groups around the world, we began to respond to the call of the Spirit to send missionaries into the far-flung places of the earth to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to anybody who had not heard it yet. For those in the Covenant Church, we recognize that the Great Commission sends us out into the world to make disciples, and the Great Commandment calls us to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
Early covenanters were known as mission friends because they had never really even intended to start a denomination. They, they recognized that part of being Christian community is that we pool our resources for the sake of carrying on the mission of God. And that ultimately led to the fourth owl, which is being connection owl. And in the founding of the covenant church, it was recognized that our Christ-likeness is demonstrated most openly in the way that we relate to one another. Within our own families, within the body of Christ, and how we relate to the wider community of the world. And in a season where the church was fracturing and splitting over theological hairs and in small little issues, the covenanters recognized that our testimony is greater by focusing on the things that should unite us as Christians rather than the things that should divide us. And so the covenant was formed less out of a desire to create a new denomination and more out of the belief that as Christians we should be known for the love of Christ, the unity of the Spirit, for making disciples, and for building compelling Christian community. In our day, we've begun to talk about ways that we can begin to do that again in this season. How do we become a church that focuses on discipleship? That, that in that same way that the early church focused on building relationships with one another, studying God's word, but then having that be an open, invitational experience for the community around them. And, and, and we have this acronym that we are using in our spiritual formation areas that we're calling GROW. GROW simply re- represents God's word, relationships, outward action, and worship. And if you want to be growing in your spiritual life, If you want to be growing in your relationship with Jesus, these are simply the four basic biblical models that we see all the way back in the story of Acts, that we see throughout the history of the church as it's grown and it's challenged itself to to live up to the standard that the Bible has called us to be as a church. We need to be in God's word. And we need to be learning from one another. Those of us who understand God's word more, we need to be helping other people to to teach it and to learn it and to mentor them in it. We need to not only be studying it, but we need to be allowing it to shape us, to become the life manual that we're living our lives out of. Because if you really come to understand the breadth and the depth of what God has given us in his word, we see that the God's word really meets every place of life and helps us as we begin to face those challenges of life and community and love and relationships. And then we need to understand that that God's word is not just something to be studied and information, but it leads us to learn how to live in community with one another, how to have healthy relationships with each other, how to prioritize what's most important in our lives. And again, too often in our culture where we we place financial success or material possessions or even valuing busyness so we can tell ourselves, oh, we're working so hard, we must be doing a good job at life, we can run the risk of missing the key point for why God has brought us into relationship with himself, is that we can find meaning and value as we become a blessing to others, as we share that love of Christ with relationships with people around us. And that leads us to outward action. It's not just being in relationship, but it's loving each other well. Things like the five love languages that we're going over with couples who want to learn what your love language is and how do you speak your partner's love language. It's all about taking outward action in your relationship, finding out what is meaningful and helpful and being willing to do what's meaningful and helpful to the other. And this doesn't apply just in marriages, right? It applies 
in church relationships. It applies in our conversations with how do we plan our mission and vision as a church and how are we sensitive to the needs and the perspectives of everybody sitting in this room. As we take outward action, it starts with our action with one another and grows out of there to our action in our local community and in our mission efforts around the world. If we're not being effective at loving each other well, then we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot as we step outward and expand our ministry to try and do more and more in God's name because we're not really building on the solid foundation that we begin with. And ultimately, that leads us back to worship. All of our healthy relationships start with a humbling experience of putting ourselves on our knees and sometimes on our faces before the living God, recognizing that we're broken, we're sinful, we all make mistakes, we're not going to do this perfectly, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you have to do it perfectly the first time or even the tenth time. What it means is we have to be willing to acknowledge that we need help. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus is because we are flawed and we are sinful and we're broken and we end up hurting each other and messing it up sometimes. But you know what? Jesus has demonstrated that even when we do make a mess of it, there's forgiveness and there's grace and we can come to one another and because of the mercy and the grace of Jesus we can stay united we don't have to separate we don't have to break relationship with each other we don't have to stay angry with each other we can come in because of our humility before God in worship we can have our hearts be put right with him so that we can have our hearts put put right with each other and that's one of the beauty Beautiful things about Faith Covenant Church is as I've gotten to know each of you and as I've learned about your history and as we continue to weave our history together, I believe this is a church of deep character that has a heart for forgiveness, that wants to to, to live in love with one another, not to push aside our differences or our challenges, but to speak the truth in love and in mercy and grace to overcome them so that we can always be better and better together. As we think about the future of our life as a church and becoming what uh, uh, even more healthy and missional church, we, we know that, that change is coming, not because we're necessarily forcing change, but because change happens. Every season of life opens the door for new experiences and new possibilities. Every new person who comes to our church, who, who decides to become a part of our community, brings a newness and a, an opportunity for us to be a different in, in a new way. And as we anticipate the goodness of change and that God can be at work in change, we also have to recognize that, that change is difficult. And change is hard, and, and change can be emotional, and, and sometimes that leads us into less than ideal experiences in our conversations, in our relationships with each other. But you know what? Why is church any different than your family or my family? Why is our experience of community here at church any different than marriages that struggle, that friendships that are strained? See, our, our humanity is an equal measure of of our spirituality. And as we understand that compelling Christian community is not a community of perfect people who never have problems, but it's a community of people who know how to deal with their problems and work through them in love in a way that demonstrates that there is a greater love than our human love. There's a greater forgiveness than our human forgiveness. Then our community becomes a testimony to the world around us that God is real and God is alive because we all know that left to our own devices, we wouldn't live that way. 
We wouldn't choose forgiveness over retribution. We wouldn't choose mercy over, over oppression. We, we, would be, we would make the selfish choice. And that's unfortunately what so many people out there in our culture are believing and experiencing about the human condition every day. And so if we can demonstrate something different, if we can give them a glimpse of a different way to live, of a different way to be in relationship, of a different way to do family, then the church becomes compelling as an avenue to learn more and more about the God who loves them. In closing this morning, I'd just like to suggest there are two things that we really need to be focusing on in order for us to continue to lean into this idea of being a compelling Christian community. Number one is we need to be intentional about developing community. I think too often churches today focus on developing the programs and the ministries of the church and they assume that the relationships will happen as a kind of byproduct of doing church together. And what I am suggesting for us in this season ahead is we need to flip that upside down and we need to say all of the programs and the ministries that we plan should be intentionally designed with the result of creating community, with the result of furthering and developing relationships, of helping us to build bridges of relationship and making sure that people are experiencing friendship and mentoring and life coaching and discipleship. You see, if we set that as our target and we have a clear plan for how to make that happen, then we can begin to put plans together to be intentional about living in community in very specific ways. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And the second thing I believe we need to do is we need to recognize that community is built and experienced as we commit ourselves first to Christ and then to one another in Christ's name. Community is built as we commit ourselves first to Christ and then to one another in Christ's name. You see, if we get that one upside down, then we miss the very power and the presence of Christ, which we need in order to do this relationship thing well. If we're not focused on living our lives in Christ and for Christ as our Lord and our Savior, if we don't recognize that our first calling is to be disciples of Jesus, then we can miss the fact that we live out that calling in our relationships with those around us, and we can get off track and get it messed up. But if we keep Christ as first and foremost in our eyes, and he's the one that we're called to love, and he's the one that we're called to serve, then we're reminded of the gift that he's given us. And we come in humility to our human relationships and say, if God has loved me in this way, then maybe it's the least I can do for those around me. Psalm 133.1 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Love that verse. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. You see, it's that same idea of taste and see that the Lord is good. I would love for our church to continue to grow, to be a place where when people come to experience our, their, you know, us in relationship, they come away going, there's something different about this group. There's something different about this church. There's something different about these people that I want to know more of. I want to I be a part of. I want to I get involved. 
Because you see, when that happens, then it's not a, a church growth strategy that we're going out somehow manufacturing uh, you know, evangelistic exercises that bring people into the church. We're simply living out the call that God has given us to love one another well, to focus on building disciples, to create hospitality and open spaces, to stay united even through our differences, and ultimately to have an open invitation to anybody who wants to join in the fun. And that's really what it becomes. It becomes fun. If you think about our worship this morning, we've had mistakes, we've had problems, but, but it's been fun because we're together and we're here not to, to put on a show or to somehow say we're better than the church down the street. We're here to worship God in community. We're here with our brothers and sisters and our spiritual aunts and uncles to say God is alive and we've come to worship him because we are the family of God through what he has done for us. And ultimately, that is the gift that we have to give away. It's not our own brains. It's not our own insight. It's not our own greatness. It's our love and our humility that become the compelling nature of what the church is really all about. And ultimately, it's not something we do for God. It's something God does in us. And we simply need to be willing to allow God to be God and allow him to do his work in us. Let's pray.